Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining today's call. I'm Elizabeth Kerr from Business Forward, and I'll be moderating our conversation today. Currently, all lines are in listen-only mode. We are pleased to welcome Dami, Dr. Ami Vera. He is the congressman from California's 7th District and a physician with more than 20 years of experience in healthcare. Today, Congressman Vera is here to discuss his current work to protect and improve the Affordable Care Act, and this will be an interactive briefing, so after his remarks, we'll have time for your questions. For those of you who are new to our programming, Business Forward organizes local roundtables, Washington fly-ins, conference calls, webinars, and media trainings for more than 100,000 business leaders across the country. And at these briefings, entrepreneurs, investors, small business owners, and executives all get the chance to brief policymakers on issues that affect their companies and talk about how Washington can work better with businesses to accelerate the economy. More than 600 mayors, governors, members of Congress, and senior administration officials have participated in our programming. And this is all thanks to the support of more than 60 of America's largest and most respected companies and foundations. Before we get started, I want to cover just a few housekeeping items. Uh, first, as I mentioned, there will be time for your questions and comments uh, to the congressman after his remarks. And you can ask a question in one of two ways. First, you can press 1 at any time on your telephone keypad to ask a question live. And we'll just call on you, and then you can ask your question. Or you can email your question to us at info at businessfwd.org, and I will read that question aloud. Again, uh, to ask a question, just press 1 on your telephone keypad to ask a question live, or email your question to us at info at businessfwd.org. And when we call on you to ask a question, please introduce yourself with your name and your business and where you're calling from. When you email us, please include that same information as well. Uh, we will get in as many questions as we can. We have about half an hour for this call. So one more point, this call is on the record and there may be recorders, recorders present and we are recording this call as well. So with that, uh, let's get started. Congressman Barra, welcome, please go ahead. Great, thanks Liz. And thanks for you know the folks that are taking some time out of their Wednesday morning, or it's Wednesday morning out here in California. You know, Liz touched on a little bit of my background, and you know, I, I'm a physician first. I'm trained in general internal medicine, practiced for a while, and then was medical director of care management for a five hospital system. And you know, much of my perspective comes from that background of care delivery. You know, how can you um, become more efficient in your care delivery, you know, in, in that capacity at the hospital system. You know, I had management roles as well as um, responsibilities negotiating, you know, our, our contracts with the health insurance carriers, et cetera. And then went over to the public health side as chief medical officer for Sacramento County, a county at that time of about 1.5 million residents, you know, and really thought about how you could get systems to work together to deliver, um, better and more efficient care to populations, um, but also to start addressing the, the cost of care as well. And then um, went over to the University of California Davis Medical School as Dean of Admissions and looked at it from the workforce side and then had this crazy notion of running for Congress. Um, and you know, so how I look at healthcare really is from the perspective of, of the patient and how can we get more for less? And you know, my, this is now my sixth year in Congress, and, you know, it, I, I'm going to state the obvious here. It's not the most functional organization, um, and really what's been disappointing when it's come to the healthcare conversation is we haven't really been thinking about policy solutions, how we can um, address better care, more efficient care, 
better access, but also um, more affordability um, in, in, in healthcare. It's all been about politics, and it's been the politics of winning or losing elections. And, you know, our hope is, you know, as we move forward, I don't know if it'll happen in the next two years, but as we move um, into a new conference, uh, a new Congress, and, and potentially a, a new administration, or if the current administration wants to start addressing the policy side of things, that we actually can start addressing the needs of America's patients and the, the folks that are providing health care. So I think, uh, you know, one easy way to think about um, health care is to, to break it into to three buckets. But the largest bucket um, and, and one that we have to address is those patients that are 65 and older um, that are getting Medi Medicare. Um, we're not going to talk about that one today because, you know, we're going to talk about the, the second bucket, which is that large population of patients who are out there working who are getting their coverage through their employer. Um, and that's many of the folks on, on this call. Those are small business owners. Those are big business owners, et, et cetera, and who are trying to do the right thing by their employees and offer benefits. And, again, that's a large part of the population that is working age. You know, that, that gets their benefits through their employer-sponsored health plans. And then there's that third component, which is where all the politics have been. You know, the Affordable Care Act was designed to address, and, and that third component's the smallest component, but it was a, designed to address the individual marketplace, those individuals that weren't getting employer-based um, coverage or those small companies that um, were not able to offer coverage, but they were looking for you know, the ability to get their own coverage. And again, the the Affordable Care Act largely was designed to address that, the smallest of the three buckets, um, but that's also consumed the largest part of the conversation. So, you know, as I think about, we won't talk about Medicare today, but what, what we ought to talk about is both that employer-based um, marketplace and that individual marketplace, because you're starting to see some of the lines blur and one absolutely does affect the other. You saw some of the politics that have played out in the um, last year, year and a half, in terms of repealing the Affordable Care Act. And you know, while the Affordable Care Act wasn't repealed, there were some things that were done in, the, you know, in rolling back the Affordable Care Act that absolutely do affect that second bucket, the employer-based marketplace. You'll hear people talk about um, the repeal of the individual mandate. You know, whether you supported the individual mandate or didn't support the individual mandate, it was really designed to get not just the sick people into the marketplace, but also to get the healthy people into the marketplace. So you'd have um, a, a good risk pool that would actually bring costs down for everyone. Removing the individual mandate is going to have an effect of keeping some of those healthy folks out of the marketplace, um, while the folks that have chronic illness and require healthcare will continue to stay in the marketplace. And that likely is gonna drive up costs. Now, those costs are going to spill over and they already are spilling over into the employer-based marketplace. The folks that are not getting coverage through the Affordable Care Act, but are out there you know, providing coverage. And again, that's a, a big piece of the population under um, age 65 that are out there working. Um, and that's a real critical piece because those are the folks that haven't really benefited from the Affordable Care Act. They've seen, and these are a lot of your employees, 
and, and you see it acutely as um, a business owner, you've seen your costs going up and up. And, you know, unfortunately, the rollback of the individual mandate probably is going to, you know, some estimates up to a 10% premium increase in some states even larger than that. A few other things that played out in this last year, year and a half, you know, when the president decided not to fund these cost-sharing subsidies, that also um, has increased costs in the, the Affordable Care Act, but those are also going to spill over into the employer-based you know, marketplace. And again, that's probably another 10% hit to, to, to that group. And then there's a third component, um, the reinsurance for the really sick patients that were in the risk pool, a mechanism by which to help lower those costs. That also has, has gone away. And again, that's going to spill over into the employer-based marketplace. So, you know, many of you that are out there, and this is unfortunate because we ought to be addressing how to keep costs down on business owners and their employees. But unfortunately, you know, you may be seeing 10, 15, 20, 25 percent um, premium increases because of some of these actions that took place. So, you know, the past is the past. You know, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to start thinking about how do we how do we move forward and how do we not just address access to care but what i would argue is the most critical piece that we have to do um, which is affordability and you know if you think if you look at polling numbers that are out there um, across america the american public isn't talking about the russia investigation they're not talking about you know, Bob Mueller, um, they're not talking about Michael Cohen. What they are talking about is the cost of their health care. And that is either the number one or number two issue after, you know, um, getting a job and, and getting a decent salary. It's the cost of health care. And there is an urgency for us to get ahead of this. We've worked on a couple pieces of legislation, and my thought process is, you can't, if we want to break through the politics, you can't do this as Republican only or Democratic only. Um, you've got to figure out how to bridge that, that gap. And that requires finding you know, centrist solutions that are business friendly. And again, we're talking about that second bucket of employer-based based coverage. Um, and then also, you know, that, that isn't totally unlinked from the individual marketplace. So what are solutions that could actually start to make healthcare more affordable and lower the cost. Well, one thing that you know, we were able to pass out of the House in July was um, part of the, the um, Affordable Care Act had this health insurance tax. Uh, and the health insurance tax really was just a pass-through that would lead to, you know, for a, lot, for a family of four, it would be a couple hundred dollars um, of premium increases, which is not a nominal amount. And, you know, by at least passing a delay of that, that should lead to a, a couple percentage points, you know, three, four, five percentage points of decrease in premium. We think that is a good thing. Um, we did get that out of the House. Hopefully, you know, that'll get taken up in the Senate and we will be able to, to, to get that full two-year delay. So that's one way of immediately trying to keep costs cost down. A second thing that, you know, I'm a strong believer in and you know, unfortunately, not enough of my Democratic colleagues are here with me, but I really believe um, in health savings accounts. And, you know, talking to a lot of business owners, talking to a lot of um, small and large businesses, you know, for those 80% or so folks who are relatively healthy, 
um, we ought to give them that opportunity to save to cover their own um, health care costs and give them that tax advantage over time. So, you know, when you're young and, and relatively healthy, either your employer or you as an individual can set aside those dollars that are available for you when you're, you know, potentially older and need more health care coverage. And, you know, we've raised some limits on the, again, this is something that we were able to pass out of the House in July, raising some of those limits. You know, we were talking about how, you know, potentially you get to take your health savings account into Medicare, which, again, you know, that third bucket of folks that are over 65, you know, increasingly they're covering more of the cost of their care. So how do you allow them to save over a lifetime and have some of those um, dollars available? And then for a large number of um, relatively healthy folks, they see health insurance as health insurance. They don't get care on a regular basis, but they do want to have that coverage if they get in an auto accident, um, if they come down with a, a bad diagnosis, they don't want to go bankrupt. So how do we give every American that safety and security of coverage, allow them to, you know, if, you know to have outpatient visits, um, and have some of that covered because, again, if they throw their back up, they may go see the doctor, but they're not seeing a doctor on a regular basis, and create an affordable policy. And that's something that we're working on you know, with actuaries and, and business owners and, and others to just try to figure out what's that right price point that an individual could afford coverage or a, an employer could afford a, a decent policy that has the health care guarantees that were in the Affordable Care Act but was at a price point that was affordable. And I think that's the hope, again, working with Republicans and across the aisle, that we get to a place where, you know, either in this next Congress or with the new administration, we can actually start, stop playing politics with healthcare and start addressing what is a very real concern to, you know, just about every American business as well as every American citizen. You know, that cost is becoming unaffordable. And, you know, so... Liz, I may stop there. I could keep, you know, I could, I could go on with a lot of different ideas. We could talk about how do you make medications more affordable. We could talk about how we actually shift to focusing in on health because right now a lot of the healthcare system and a lot of the cost of the system are not actually focused on keeping people healthy, but it's focused on, you know, once they get sick, um, and that's where a lot of the, the dollars also you know, get you. So, Liz, with that, I'll turn it over to you, and let's um, let's take some questions. Sure thing. Uh, thanks for that overview. We, as a reminder to everybody on the call, if you'd like to ask a question, just press one on your telephone keypad, and we can call on you, or you can email your question to us at info at businessfwd.org. Uh, as folks queue up, I'm going to start with a couple of the email questions that we received. Uh, Congressman Barrett, you mentioned cost-sharing payments that the administration hadn't made yet. We've heard a lot about uh, the fact that some, some members of Congress really believe that we should leave the Affordable Care Act in place, um, but that there really are some tweaks that need to happen in order to bring the health care costs down, especially for businesses trying to provide insurance to their employees. What are some of the legislative fixes that you see that could make the Affordable Care Act work better? So uh, uh, a couple things. Um, you touched on these cost-sharing um, subsidies and, and, and payments. You know, in a, 
yeah, I'm a member of the Bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, which is about is 48 members, 24 Democrats, 24 Republicans, and we put together a bipartisan bill that we thought would help stabilize the marketplace. Um, it kept the Affordable Care Act in place, but it also made um, what I think are some necessary changes. One would be, you know, that 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 caution um, component. We think if we were to be able to put that back in, it would immediately lower premium costs about 10%. Yeah, you know, the other I touched on earlier is this reinsurance component, um, and, and a lot of this is is wonky stuff that that we can get in. But we think if we were able to put that back in, we would also um, be able to lower premiums as well. So that that would be the first step, which is creating some um, stability in the healthcare marketplace and. You know, if there's one thing that actuaries and, and health plans um, don't like is unpredictability. And I think, you know, unfortunately, the political dynamics around the Affordable Care Act has created this um, unpredictability, and that's spilling over into the employer-based um, non-Affordable Care Act marketplace. A third one that I don't think the individual mandate is coming back um, anytime soon, if ever. I think the politics of it, um, are, are, are pretty tough. That said, the, the principle that health insurance is built on, which is, and, and any insurance marketplace is built on, is that you've got to get the, the, the healthy people in um, along with those that are more chronically ill. Otherwise, you know, those in the healthcare marketplace will see higher costs. And again, the design of the individual mandate was to, to really compel those young, healthy folks to, to be in the insurance marketplace. Again, if that's not coming back, you know, we've proposed, and, and this is something that, you know, Republicans have talked about in the past, is doing some form of auto-enrollment. So the, the opt-out would be, I don't want health insurance. And if you didn't sign up, you'd automatically be enrolled in, you know, an affordable health plan to get you into the marketplace. We've got to work on some of the logistics, but what we've introduced a bill to allow those states that want to experiment with an auto-enrollment type of plan. And we think if you could actually get the majority of people into the healthcare marketplace, you'd again see uh, you know, anywhere from 5 to 10% um, potential premium decrease. So a lot of this is designed to address that aspect of how do we actually start talking about the cost of healthcare. Uh, great, thanks. You talked. Uh, you mentioned just now the individual mandate. We had a couple questions about that. One of which was, are there are there alternatives to the individual mandate? And you talked a little just now about auto enrollment. I'm going to add to that and ask if um, you, as a physician and a policymaker, have any thoughts on um, what incentives or how we can encourage. Um, or how the government could encourage or insurance companies could encourage those healthier people uh, to enroll in health insurance? Or are there, is the problem that there are that they just don't think they need it, that there aren't policies that fit them? What do you yeah, think makes so sense? I, um, I think that that's a great question. Um, when we talked about what we think is a reasonable alternative to the individual mandate, which would be kind of this concept of auto-enrollment, but the, the caveat there is you can't auto-enroll someone. You know, let's say you have a relatively healthy couple that are in their early 30s. Let's say it's a family of four. 
if you auto-enroll them in an, into a policy that's going to cost them $2,000 a month, $3,000 a month, it's not going to fly politically. You have to then say, how do we get them into a policy that fits their need? And I think where a lot of the, the healthcare dialogue and the healthcare policy has been focused on, I, I'm going to oversimplify this, but 80% of the non-Medicare population, and again, we're talking about that second bucket, the employer-based population um, are relatively healthy and you know they don't have chronic illnesses the way they if you look at utilization patterns the way they use healthcare is maybe they go get an annual um, exam uh, on a regular basis but a lot of them don't see the doctor on a regular basis they'll go see a doctor if they throw their knee out throw their back out um, and they want to have that access they also want to have that security that is they don't want to go bankrupt if they have a bad auto accident or um, you know, they come down with a, a bad diagnosis. Um, but they're also reasonably happy to say, okay, is there a mechanism by which I can you know, cover some of the costs? And I think that's where pushing the idea of expansions of health savings accounts paired with slightly higher deductible plans potentially give you the, the, the opportunity to create a more affordable product that works for the 80% of relatively healthy folks. And, you know, that's where we're working with actuaries and, and others to think about, you know, what is that, you know, affordable level that gives them the type of coverage that they want. Right now, I think a lot of the debate has been focused on, you know, covering the 20% of chronically ill folks which probably forces the 80% of relatively healthy folks to have to buy more coverage than they actually probably want. Yeah, that, that one politically is not going to be super easy to do, but if we want to address the cost, we have to start looking at, at, at these creative type of solutions. So, you know, I, I think we can get there. You know, we mm -hmm. certainly have some Republican interest in this. And, again, I think a, a founding principle has to be Democrats and Republicans working together on this. Great. Thanks. We're going to go to a live question now. Uh, Laura Dawson, go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, remind us what your business is. Tell us where you're calling from and ask your question. Yes. Thank you, Elizabeth. My name is Laura Dawson. I'm a licensed acupuncturist. I actually went to high school in Sacramento, so I have something a little in common with the uh, Congress person today. So thank you so much for being online and sharing your thoughts with us about insurance and medical health care. Um, as an acupuncturist and uh, policymaker in Washington, D.C., I helped to write the Affordable Care Act, and yes, it's not perfect. Uh, but it was something in which we were attempting, just as you are seeking to do, is increase the size of the pool in order to buffer the cost to everyone. And so that was really the bigger uh, picture of it, you know, oversimplified. But I would like to just bring up something about one of your solutions that you just mentioned, and I thought it sounded like, you know, it might be a, a good approach, and that was the health service. I mean, the, what is it, the health savings account, and then also let you know what I think may be an issue with that so that you can address that as you move forward with that, with consideration of that. And that's that it, as the Affordable Care Act was being written, data exchange was the biggest issue. You know, we have a mobile population that 
you know, travels not only nationally but internationally to do their work, small business, mid-sized business, and, and larger. So it's important to be able to do that, that start large population's care and communicate it wherever they are. However, uh, if we go to a health services agency or a health savings account, oftentimes they do not have the money in their database to afford to have all the legal requirements for the uh, cohesive acknowledged exchange of the database on the patient. So then you have broken data. And that's what has always been one of the biggest concerns about healthcare. So I think you touch on a a lot of important points there. Um, One, I I do think we build off of the the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, part of that, you just talked about the the portability of health insurance and, and, and coverage. And increasingly, you know, a lot of us think about what is a 21st century economy going to look like. And, you know, we look at this, um, you know, kind of the sharing economy, um, you know, individuals, you know, doing their Airbnb, doing Uber, et cetera. You know, those millennials may not have that employer-based coverage, so they're going to have to be able to go to a marketplace and find an affordable policy. And that is something that the Affordable Care Act um, hopefully will be able to, to provide, you know, once we get through the politics here. The second piece that, that you touched on and, and is, you know, the, is um, electronic medical records, data sharing, et cetera. And that's a huge problem right now. I mean, folks have, um, you know, spent billions of dollars on electronic medical records and billing systems, et cetera. The problem is they're all siloed. They're not, there's no interoperability between these. So, you know, that's something we've been pushing at the, the federal level to say, you know, it doesn't do you any good if, you know, I've got my healthcare records and, and all my data with my provider here in Sacramento. But then when I'm in Washington, D.C., if I get in an auto accident and get taken to, to an emergency room there and they can't access those records, um, mm-hmm. then there's a lot of duplication that takes place. There's a lot of billing errors, et cetera. And then you know, when I follow up with my provider back in Sacramento, if they can't access those Washington, D.C. records, that adds a ton of costs mm-hmm. and co- causes a lot of duplication and inefficiency. I mean, the example I'll often use is, you know, electronic banking where, you know, if, if I'm at my bank in, in Sacramento, I can, you know, go onto their website, use my username, password, access my banking records. I can do the same thing. There's very easy solutions, um, but we've got to break these barriers down. And some of the companies that have, you know, provided electronic medical records have been resistant to breaking through these silos. We're slowly getting there. But a lot of these are workaround systems, and, and I think that addresses the, the billing issue as well. Is you know, There's a fundamental question. I would argue that the medical record is the property of the patient. That is one that's being discussed and argued right now because I think a lot of the health systems and others would say, well, that's really our medical record which is why they're resistant to, to doing that interoperability. And I think that's one we're going to have to have to solve because I think the record should move with the patient um, as opposed to be stuck in the system. So thank you for your question. Um, we're getting close on time here, so I'm going to end this with two questions. 
one a quick one here and then um, one final question. Um, we have a question here from Indra Klein and she's asking, and we've had a couple questions about this, it would really help if members of Congress got their health insurance similarly to those of us in the workforce. And correct me if I'm wrong, Congressman, but members of Congress receive their health care plans through the exchange, correct? That's correct, through the ACA. Yes. Okay. And so through then our plans. last question. Right. Yeah. So through our last question here, um, NYU recently announced free tuition for all medical students. How do you think this will affect who becomes a doctor, how they provide care, and the affordability and accessibility of healthcare throughout the country if this were to become a model? Yeah, I, I, I just saw that. And I'd go back to um, what I paid to go to medical school at the University of California, Irvine. I paid $393 a quarter, which is just a remarkable um, bargain. And that was an investment that was made in me. It allowed me to go into, you know, become a primary care internist and, you know, and, and pay off my, my student loans and my debt fairly um, rapidly. I think, um, you know, if we want more young people to go into medicine, um, you know, we've got to create a, a more affordable product. If we want folks from lower income communities and, you know, others that have that potential and talent, we also have to address this affordability issue. Um, it'll be interesting to see what impact um, NYU's decision has on the, the other medical schools that, you know, increasingly this is not just an issue of, you know, getting people covered and addressing the cost of healthcare. If there are no doctors out there, if there are no healthcare providers out there, and we're seeing big shortages coming um, of doctors, of nurses, of pharmacists, um, you know, it doesn't do any good to have health insurance coverage if you can't go actually get any care. So we've got to address the workforce side of it. And you know, I applaud NYU for what they're doing. Um, I don't know that we're going to go to free medical school tuition, but I think we ought to go to affordable medical school tuition. And you know, we, we ought to also think about the, the other health care providers out there, the pharmacists, the nurses, the, the acupuncturists, and, and, and others that – you know, are, are all out there trying to care for America's um, public and, and America's patients. The cost of um, college, cost of graduate school, cost of medical school, that's a, a topic for a whole other um, conference call that we ought to do some other juncture, but you know, that is one, one of the components. I think it will have a positive impact. Great. Well, thank you. That's all the time we have for today, Congressman. Uh, thank you for joining us and sharing your expertise. And thanks to all of the business leaders on the phone for taking time out of your day to join us for this important discussion. Everyone, please check your email for a post-event survey. We're always glad to hear what you have, uh, what you think of the call, and we will send a recording as well. So uh, thanks again, Congressman. We look forward to working with all of you again soon. Have a good afternoon.